hope you've enjoyed the service thus far this morning. Um, we've been, this is week number 13 or 14, I believe, um, in our series from the book of Romans, Read It Yourself. Um, I, I think if folks would read the book of Romans, um, it, it, it really straightens out a lot of doctrine um, when you understand it. And this morning's message is titled, Attaining Victory Over Sin. It's where we left off last week um, with, you know, I'll pick up for Paul's instructions of, of, of attaining that victory over sin. He had asked us a question, and I had asked you to go home and, you know, prayerfully read chapter 6, 7, and 8. Uh, in fact, read it again and again and, and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate um, these Bible truths to you. And that's why the series is titled Read It Yourself. Um, it's not, people make a, a statement all the time. I believe it. Um, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. No, God said it, and that settles it, whether you believe it or not. And And so... We need to understand that. So with that said, I want to read the first 10 verses. We'll go back. We did verses 1 and 2 um, last week. We'll actually get through the entire chapter this morning. I won't read it all, but I do need to read the first 10 verses so that you understand um, the answer to Paul's question. It says, he started out in verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, we get saved, and then do we just keep on doing the same old things we've always done? And the answer was, God forbid, or certainly not. Um, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? There's the second question. And then his answer. Verse 3, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. There is three instructions given in chapter 6 that answers these two questions and helps us to have victory over the sin that we confront in this life. And he gives those words three different or many different times in this, in this passage. But 
It's the instruction that we as Christians have as to how to have victory because many Christians go through life and never have victory over sin in their life. They just, and, and here is a clear answer as to how you can have victory. The repetition of the word know, K-N-O-W, it's in verses 3, verses 6, and verses 9, is an indication that he repeated it three times that he wants us to understand this basic doctrine of we can have victory. Paul Finley, I don't know where he's at, but a few weeks ago he, in a, in a Wednesday evening class, we was asking what the one thing that you, you feel like you need in order to have more victory in your life, in order to, you know, to live a better Christian. And Paul uh, made this statement. He said, I would like to have more knowledge, understanding of my Bible. And it's a very good request. However, if it is not applied and put it into practice, I have a a statement that I believe that knowledge without application is an abortion. You know, you're you're just aborting the truth. You don't don't have any, any application or practice. But the word know here in verse 3, it says, Do you not know? Speaking of the questions, he's he's giving you the answer. Do you not know? Then he says in verse 6, knowing this. And then in verse 9, knowing that Christ. Three different knows, things that you need to know. And what is he trying to get across to us? Christian living depends on Christian learning. Christian living depends on Christian learning. Most Christians don't grow simply because they don't read their Bible and they do not know what the truth is and how and what God expects you to live. I'm I'm getting texts from the baseball crew or the softball crew this morning. He turned my phone off. Um, But that's a whole different story within itself. Um, Let me get, get back on track. Christian living depends on Christian learning. And our duty in life, the way we should live is always founded in doctrine. It's always founded in doctrine, in the scripture. And so Dr. Wearsby uh, makes a statement that if Satan can keep the Christian ignorant, he can keep him impotent. In other words, you'll never grow, you'll never have any output, you'll, you'll always be an infant in Christ. And the basic truth Paul is teaching in this, this passage of Scripture in chapter 6 is something that we need to understand, and that is that the believer's identification in Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. If we understood that, to know that, to understand that, it, it gives you a victory just knowing it doesn't depend on you. And, and it doesn't depend on your to-do list. It's what Christ has already done for you. And just as we are identified, everybody says, well, you know, I, I just don't have control over sin in my life and I can't. Just as we are identified in Adam 
Um, and, and in sin and in condemnation, we also, after trusting Christ, are identified with Christ in righteousness and justification. If a person, let me, let me clarify all that because that's a, a mouthful within itself. If you could live without ever doing anything wrong, you would still be a sinner because you received a sinful nature from Adam. And you say, I don't know that I understand. Well, it's, it's real easy. Your, your children, when they're born, they have your features, green eyes, blue eyes, I, I, you know, big ears, no ears, I, I just whatever. But just as you were born into the human race, you inherited your sinful nature from Adam. Likewise, when you were born again, you inherited from Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection the power of the Holy Spirit in righteousness and in justification and just as if you never sinned. And that's, it, it's critical to living a victorious Christian life is to understand this truth. Christ not only died for our sins on the cross, but he died unto sin and we died with him. Not literally, but our, our, our nature, our sinful nature died with him. And Paul clarifies that we're not going to live a life of sinful perfection and we'll deal with that in chapter 7. But he, it does... Uh, help you in order to have victory in your Christian life. In other words, we're justified by, or justification by faith. You believe in Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again for you, and you receive justification by faith. It's not simply a legal matter but, uh, that's between you and God, but it's a living relationship because Christ now lives in you and you, in turn, live out your Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, when you think about it as being a relationship, so many people go through, through their Christian walk their whole life, and they don't understand when I say relationship. They don't understand that the Holy Spirit came to live inside of them and that God speaks to you in the still small voice and all that transpires in your life, all that takes place. You have someone to help you live out the Christian life living in you and you should have a relationship with that person and that is the Holy Spirit. We are all in Christ, it says here, and we were baptized unto one body. Kelly talked about baptism. That baptism that Paul is talking about when he says we are baptized into one body is not speaking about immersion or speaking about sprinkling as was done in the Methodist church for years and years and years. It is talking about your spiritual baptism by the Holy Spirit. And you find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Read it yourself. It's not something that I just make up or I'm thinking about. It says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, 
and have all been made to drink unto one spirit. For in fact, the body is, is not one member, but many. In other words, when the Bible speaks and talks about the body of faith, the body of Christians, the church, we were baptized by the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? That means that the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of you at the moment that you trusted Christ as your personal Savior. It's what it's speaking there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. And Romans, if you want to go read it, I'm not going to take the time. Verses five, uh, uh, chapter 5 and verse 18 is a literal cha- translation of that. I am in Christ. I'm in the body of Christ. When he died, I died. When he rose, I arose in him. And because of this living union with Christ, we have a totally new relationship to sin. It appears that Paul was talking about literal baptism, just the immersion that we do. But he is also speaking about a figurative in mind when this paragraph that that we just read in in chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Because he uses the believer's experience of water baptism, literally, he's talking about literal baptism, to remind them of their figurative identification in Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I said all of that simply to say that this was accomplished by the Spirit of God at the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we are to know and understand our relationship, but here's the key. It also, because you were buried and died again, or was rose again in Christ, there's a power and a glory of a resurrection that lives in you, that gives you victory over sin in your life. Galatians 2, 20 and 21 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live. Think about that. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not, sit, I do not set aside the grace of God because he ha- still continues to sin and have issues. We all do. Anybody that says, I never sin anymore... You're denying what the scripture says. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. In other words, if righteousness comes because I try to live a sinless perfection of never doing anything wrong, Christ died in vain. In other words, Christ died so that we can have victory over sin. Too many Christians are what, what I call in-betweeners. They're, they're in between Egypt and Canaan. They're saved but never satisfied. 
uh, or or they are they live between Good Friday and Easter. Uh, you know they're believing in the cross. They've trusted Christ. However, they've never entered into the power and the glory of the resurrection. They don't understand that your victory comes by your faith and not just putting it in Christ, but understanding that Christ lives in you and you have a relationship with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's it's evidenced in an old song my grandmother used to sing. He walks with me. He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. That's a relationship. And in that relationship, you have power because Christ was resurrected. You are resurrected and are no longer a slave to sin. Paul wants us to know, K-N-O-W. I tell people all the time, people say, well, I hope I get to heaven or I think I might. No, you can know. You can know. 1 John 5, 13 says, These things have I written unto them who believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, not hope so, not think so, not maybe, you can know for sure that if you die today, heaven is your home. You can know it. You say, how's that illustrated? These things have I written unto you. You say, what do you mean by that? The Bible. He told us, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life simply by believing and putting your faith and trust in Him. If you buy a car, what do you get? A title. I come and tell you that car is mine that, that you own. What are you going to produce to let me know for sure that that, or tell the law, that's not his car, that's my car. You got a title. You got proof. It's in written form. You buy a house, what do you get? You get a deed. Someone comes and says, you're living in my house. No, I got a deed where I purchased the property. You, someone says, you, how, how do you know you're saved? I got a written deed. I got a title. I got a Bible that stood the test of time. It's been around thousands of years. And in turn, in turn, when it tells us these things have I written unto you, because you are in Christ, you can know that you have eternal life because God promised it to you. And it's that simple. Paul wants us to know and understand. He is not describing an experience, he is stating a fact, truth. You can know that you have eternal life and you can know that you have victory over sin in your life because Christ arose from the grave and he now lives in you to help you with, the, with all your issues of life. And, and he stated that in John chapter 14. A comforter will come. Someone's going to help you live this thing called the Christian life. The second word that he talks about begins in in Romans 6 and verse 11 is the word reckon. It's found 41 times in in, uh, the New Testament and many times in the book of Romans. And it says in chapter 6 and verse 11, Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin. 
In other words, Christ died, you died in him is what the scripture says. You need to reckon yourself to be dead, but alive in, or to God in Christ our Lord. So there's this relationship of understanding that Christ died, you died with him, and now you're alive, dead to sin, in Christ. As an 18 or 19 year old kid, um, I was, I, I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't tell my story to glorify sin, but I was very rebellious. I, I had left home when I was 15 or 16, as soon as I got my driver's license, and I've only slept in my mom and dad's house one time since then. That's got snowed in there one Christmas all the time. I've stayed since then. But I was very rebellious and involved in a lot of stuff that I'm not going to take the time to tell you about because you'll tell others. Um, But I had plenty of money. I worked a full-time job. I I was in what they called an occupational work experience program at school that I went for one class in the morning and got out and worked a full-time job since then. I learned to trade. I I worked uh, in a filling station pumping gas and, and, and learned how to build engines and all this mechanical, just become an ASE certified in all 13 areas and service manager in a in a car dealership at one point in time, and, and I just had plenty of money. I, and with money comes a lot of opportunity to do things that, you know, you probably shouldn't do. Uh, I was just living a happy, good life. I married someone I had dated for four or five years, very young. Uh, we were 18, 19 years old. I had a child before I was barely past 20, and her mother, who was lived, you know, was a very good Christian lady, started witnessing to me and talking to me about Christ. And I was raised in church. I I I knew I knew Jonah the whale. I knew all the little stories had been taught on flannel graph. But I'd never trusted Christ. And this lady started witnessing to me and and to be quite honest with you, I didn't want to be saved. Um and second, I didn't know that I even wanted uh, to live this stiff-necked Christian life that was being shown in front of me. I mean, they wore a tie all the time to church, and they did all these different stuff, and they prayed over their food. And, and I'm like, I don't know that I could live that way. You know, that's what old people do, which is me now. Um, uh, but I did not understand that I could live this life if I knew the truth and Christian living was associated with Christian learning and if I was to reckon understand what, what, what's he saying with reckon? It means for us, in, when we think about reckon, it's like, well, I guess, I reckon that happened, or I think that happened, but that's not what Paul's saying here. When he uses the word reckon here, he is simply saying it means to impute or put it 
in your account. In other words, we can put in our account that the check's already been endorsed and given to you, that you died with Christ, you are alive with Him now because He lives inside of you. Christianity is not just, I'm trusting Christ so I go to heaven someday. Christianity is Christian living, and Christian living is is Christian learning, and knowing what the truth Paul is telling us here, and understanding that it's already been put on our account. We have this, we believe by faith, Christian living, already been put in our account. And you're dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Christ who lives in you. Reckon is not claiming a promise. It is acting on a fact. And that fact is God does not command us to become dead to sin. He tells us that we are already dead to sin. And he's alive unto God. If you read that passage again, yourselves to be dead indeed, but alive to God. How? In Christ Jesus. So when we understand this truth, it makes Christian living a whole lot easier. And and then after that has happened, he's commanded that we are, he tells us to act on it. And if we never act on it, here's, here's where most people get lost in their Christian life. If we never act on it, that does not mean that it's still not true. The fact is still true. We're dead to sin. And Christ is alive in us. And the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that walks with us and talks with us and tells me that I am His own. The song that whoever said, that's God loves me. God is real to me. He lives in me. Paul's first instruction was to know this fact. In other words, it's centered on your mind to get it straight up here. Most people don't have it straight up here because it's not taught. And the second act, uh, instruction, is to reckon. It focuses on your heart. Get it right in here. And then his third we're going to deal with, it, 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 you know, you get it straight up here, you get it straight in here, and then he says yield. This becomes the part that most people never get to and never understand. And it's his last instruction in this passage. It really touches our will. It's found five times in the remainder of this chapter, chapter 6, verses 12 through 23. And it's an act of the will based on the knowledge of Christ is alive in you. You were baptized into one family by the Spirit of God and He now lives in you because that was imputed into your account. It already happened. You have this glorious power because of the resurrection. An act of the will. In other words, respond and put it into practice. You've trusted Christ. You believed in Him. You don't understand it. and I don't know that I can fully understand. But the Holy Spirit came to live in you. 
you are now dead to sin because Christ died for your sin. You're also alive because he arose from the dead. And you have a power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. No, reckon, put that into practice. What's that mean? Live a relationship. Live in a relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? I, I'm going to say it till the day I die. You're going to get sick of saying it, hearing me say it. Get up in the morning because Christian living is Christian learning and spend some time in your Bible. Get you an our daily bread. Have it come. You don't have to get the little book. They'll send it to you in an email on your phone. And have a devotion where you spend some time. I'm not talking about hours. I'm talking about minutes where you sit down, read some scripture of the morning, uh, listen to what it says, allow the Holy Spirit that lives in you to deal with the things in your life and tell you and teach you through that still small voice how you're supposed to live, act, and walk, and talk. I, I, I said it last week. I don't, you know, I was taught... I don't smoke and chew, and I don't run with those that do. That was my Christian living. The problem I always had with that was, what about all the backbiters? What about all those people that were mean to folks? What about those folks that lied, cheated, and stole? Why didn't it ever deal with any of that list of stuff? Well, I'll tell you somebody that does, the Holy Spirit that lives in you, if you'll learn, know, if you'll reckon, understand that you're alive and then you'll put it into practice because you read it in here. Pretty simple, really, how you can live a victorious life when you think about it from that perspective. It doesn't take rocket scientists to figure it out. It is an intelligent act, not an impulsive decision. A literal translation would be, do not constantly or continually allow sin to reign in your mortal body. Yield. So what's that? What, that means when you get ready to cuss a blue streak, yield to the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit said, don't do that. That's when you're getting ready to go off on somebody in public and be mean and mistreat someone. That still small voice that lives inside of you. Because you shouldn't act that way. And you're like, who's talking to me? Especially if you're a new Christian, it's like, where'd that come from? Yield to that Holy Spirit that's living in you. When you're getting ready to lie, cheat, and steal, yield to the Holy Spirit says, Christian people don't do that. No. Reckon. Yield. If we would yield to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit tells us not to do things, we'd have a lot more victory over sin in our life. My grandma used to say it like this. She'd say, you know, it's kind of like you're driving down the road of life and the Holy Spirit puts a 
a roadblock or the bridge is out, and you just drive right through it headlong into it. Christian life's a whole lot easier if we would apply it to our lives and yield to the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. You say, well, I don't have a still small voice that talks to me. Let me tell you a little secret. You're probably not saved. Or you don't know enough of what the Scripture says because you never spend any time in your relationship learning what you're supposed to do. Christian life is more than a list of do's and don'ts. It's a learning process of what this Bible has to say that teaches us how to live and to act and, and the things that we're supposed to respond to. The longer we walk with Christ and understand these truths that are in the Bible, the deeper the fellowship will become. It's just like a relationship in marriage. There's times that I can start to say something. Linda just finishes my sentence. And I'm like, I don't need you to talk for me. But she knows what I'm thinking because she's lived with me now for some mm, way too many years. About till our age. When you live with somebody 35 or 36 or 37 years, or we've been around each other all of our lives, grew up to with next door to each other's kids, you learn what people are thinking. The longer you are saved and you live in a relationship with Christ, you learn more how to live, how to walk, how to talk. And for you old Christians, Pharisees, that want to beat up on the young Christian that just got saved yesterday and say, but they didn't get saved because I've seen them still doing da-da-da-da-da-da-da. They don't know what you know. They haven't lived in the relationship as long as you have lived. They don't understand to know, to reckon, to yield. So give them grace because that's what God gives you is grace. When you were a young Christian learning and growing and, and trying to make it in your Christian life. We have to give grace. Why does God, I guess, you know, your relationship with the Holy Spirit and with Christ and the God of the Bible actually gets deeper and deeper and deeper the more time you spend with Him, the more you understand, and the longer you stay in the Christian faith, the longer your walk is with Him. And, and people automatically say, though, you know, they ask the question, why does God want us to understand these three instructions? Why does He want our bodies? It's a very simple answer. First, because your body is a temple of the living God. What do you mean by that? He lives inside of you. And if you're out in public doing things you shouldn't do, then you're not glorifying the temple. You're giving God a bad name. I had a friend, his name's Rudolph Webb. He's still alive. He, he great, great person, if, if you know Rudolph. But I was a young Christian. I lived right on the highways. You left Crown City, and he lived above Crown City. 
And he went by one day, and I was kicking my lawn boy lawnmower. If you ever owned a lawn boy, old lawn boy lawnmower, you understand why you'd have to pull on that thing a thousand times. And man, I was just kicking the fire out of it. And he stopped and blowed the horn. I don't have a temper or nothing, though. And he said, is that how a Christian acts? And just drove off laughing. <laughs> and, and, for, and today, if he was to walk in and sit down in the back of this church, he'd say, is that how a Christian acts? He'd just tease me about kicking his lawn. We're not glorifying the temple. That's why he wants our body. The second reason that he wants our body is, is simply he wants to use us for his glory. He wants folks to see Christ that lives in us. And the third reason he wants us to have a victorious Christian life is he has no hands but our hands. He has no mouth but our mouth to spread the gospel to others. We're his witnesses. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And, and so he loves everyone. We heard the song. He wants us to spend eternity with him. I don't care who you are here this morning. God loves you. He wants you to spend eternity with him. And if he wants you to spend eternity with him, then he created you because he loves you and and for fellowship and you're separated from him because of this sin that Adam did and you inherited that nature and our bodies is his temple once we become a Christian and as we as a Christian are supposed to go tell others about this gospel story of Christ. That's why it's important to have victory in your life. Romans 6.23, and I'll close, for the wages of sin is death. What's that mean? That means we inherited this sinful nature. We sin because we inherited this nature. And we're going to die because of it. Man could have lived out eternity in the Garden of Eden if it hadn't been for sin. But because of our sinful nature and what Adam and Eve did and we inherited that, we're going to die. And that death, that word death that is used for the wages of sin is death. That same death is the ones found in Revelation chapter 21 or 22. It says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. In other words, we're going to spend eternity in hell. A lot of people don't talk about that anymore because of our sinful nature. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, you're going to spend eternity in hell when you die because death and were cast into the lake of fire. That's not being mean. That's just being truthful. You say, well, that's not a very loving God. Oh, but you're missing the point. But the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a free gift from a loving Father that cares about you and desires to spend eternity with you and, you and have a relationship 
with you here on earth until that time. When you don't die, you just step from the ranks of the living right over into heaven and get to see your family, your friends that were saved and went on before you. And I tell people all the time, God is not mad at you. He misses you and wants a relationship with you. And that's for the Christian that has backslidden and went off, and that's for the unsaved that has not entered back into a relationship with the Lord. He's not mad at you. He just misses you. He loves you. He longs to live inside of you. You say, well, how's that happen? By simply believing, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, well, what about this and this and this, getting baptized and communion and all these, becoming a member? Those are all good. But it's putting your faith and trust in Christ that seals your pardon so that you can spend eternity in heaven.